Churches have always run the gamut in terms of their embrace or resistance to innovation, and many of them have stated reasons for adopting new technology and practices or holding firm to the things they've done in the past. And it's no secret that communities built from scratch have the upper hand when it comes to innovation. They can shift on a dime, edit ruthlessly, and construct scaffolding that efficiently and even elegantly supports their reason for being. In our newest fabulous series, we invite you to join us and the innovators as they explain the ins and outs of their communities, why they do what they do, and how they get it done. Welcome back to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. There's a level of disappointment that people are experiencing when they've spent their life doing this thing in a particular way and it's not working for them, but they're scared to say that it's not working for them. What I'm finding a lot of the times, it's not the God thing that's not working. It's the traditions and the rules and things that have been set up by the individual denominations around their theological thought. And that's the part that's not working. But it's very difficult for people to separate tradition from theology. Today, we welcome back to the podcast my friend Gina Brown, who founded an inclusive and diverse space for conversations about the intersections of our intuition, wisdom, and lives. It's called The Faith Studio. In part one, the kind of attention it takes to welcome the wisdom in the room, the role curiosity plays in transformative conversations, and how people in Gina's community are endeavoring to sort out the role religious traditions may play in their story and in the faith they live daily. Let's jump right in. Gina, hey! Hey, Sarah, how you doing? I'm great. Thank you so much for being on the podcast again. Yeah, it's an honor to be here. You know, we have great conversations online and offline, so I'm looking forward to see what generates. Me too. (laughs) And those who are listeners of New Way in the past, you would remember the conversation that Gina and I had. Oh, gosh, it was probably a year ago or so. Yeah. Some of the wisdom she unpacked still sits with me. Like, Gina, honestly, every conversation we have, I take away something that is precious to me. So I'm grateful for (laughs) this chance to be together. And, you know, for those who are newer to the podcast, I'm wondering if you wouldn't mind starting us off by describing the faith studio that you lead, this new worshiping community that is, you are in Georgia, but is in many places because of how you operate. Yeah, thank you. So the faith studio is an ecumenical, (laughs) digital, diverse, interactive, dialogical conversation. Really, it's a full conversation. And what we really try to do is we try the the three principles or the three tenets of what we try to do is connect, inspire, and explore. And so most of the time people say you're a new worshiping community, you know, you're a church. Well, I like to refer to us as church adjacent because a lot of the times in your local assembly, everybody in there thinks the exact same way that you do, right? This is a space where people of no faith, 
of faith have been rejected from the title more narrow idea of church or where someone can come and ask questions. It doesn't mean that we have the answers, but we're not afraid to ask the questions. From the diverse perspective, it's a space of diverse learning, diverse thought, diverse people, diverse walks of life. Mm. I always say I wish I had Faith Studio when I was coming along. And so that's what we try to do. It's an intimate space. It's a very intimate space, but everyone is welcome. Yeah, I love that. And you said just a minute ago when you were describing, just alluding to the presumption in a lot of Christian spaces, worshiping communities, churches, that people do believe the same. And I wonder if that was your experience throughout your life, or did you suspect that there were others among us (laughs) who were being asked to say the same things, maybe, or sing the same things, or recite the same things, who didn't actually believe the same things. Right. And so one of my areas of focus and concentration in my theological education is practical theology. I have this curiosity about God and about how people relate to God. And I've noticed over the years that the way we articulate God to other people and the way we live out our God or theological ideas are two completely different things. Mm. So it's almost as if we know the right answers because we had the quiz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so I know what I'm supposed to say, but how I actually live that out is different. And had very practical experience. I believe I spoke last time about all of the different denominations I've been involved in, you know, the tour of churches. And one of the things I found, every space believed that what they celebrated or what their theological thought was in that space, that it's the truth and that nobody else had the truth. Yeah. <laughs> and so... After about two or three spaces, <laughs> you got like door number one, door number two, door number three. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, so everybody is saying that their thing is right. Okay, okay. So there are multiple rights. Yeah. <laughs> but we live in a world where we're not taught that there could be multiple rights. We live in this binary understanding. And so something's got to be right and something's got to be wrong. And so you have to be able to begin to open your understanding to say, I can hold this one thing in this hand and hold the other thing in the other hand and then probably hold something between it. And all of it it can still be right at the same time. Yeah. It reminds me a little of early conversations in seminary, college, or hopefully in people's congregations where you begin to see that scripture itself, you're literally looking at the text (laughs) and you're like, okay, some churches are saying that Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew scriptures, but he dies in it. His death is recorded in it. So (laughs) So the answer is not hidden. This conundrum isn't hidden from us. So you begin to ask, okay, if that's true, Mm -hmm. this tension resides within the text itself. Maybe the recitation of what is actually happening is not the main point, but is there something else here that is worth excavating? Yeah. And holding on to. That's precious. Right. And then what we find is a lot of times after you've been in church for 
a little bit of time, you start realizing that in some instances, what you were taught and what your lived experiences are after you followed the rules don't match up. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) It's almost like we've been taught that faith is a recipe that we're supposed to follow and the cake is supposed to look like, you know what it's really like? It's like those recipes on Pinterest. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Where they have these amazing pictures at the end, right? Yeah. You're like, yes, my stuff is going to look like this. And then you go through and you cut the pumpkin out and you carve everything out and you rest the chicken in and you put it in the oven and you bake it and it comes out and it's nothing but a soupy mess with white chicken inside a pumpkin. It doesn't look at all. (laughs) Nailed it. Yeah. And this is what we were supposed to have for Sunday dinner, but it didn't work. Okay. And so there's a level of disappointment that people are experiencing when they've spent their life doing this thing in a particular way. And it's not working for them, but they're scared to say that it's not working for them. Yeah. What I'm finding a lot of the times, it's not the God thing that's not working. It's the traditions and the rules and things that have been set up by the individual denominations around their theological thought. And that's the part that's not working. Mm. But it's very difficult for people to separate tradition from theology. Sure, sure. At my age now, I'm finding a lot of friends, a lot of people are just deconstructing their faith. Like, hey, I've been doing this for 30 years. There's been a lot of good that has come out of it, but I'm I'm not really sure. I'm I'm not quite seeing it that way. And then you're scared because this is how mama did it. This is how my family did it. This is my orientation. This is my whole life's identity. Yeah. I'm not starting over. I want to have something that still connects to my family. Or the other thing is you find people are walking away because they just don't know what to do with it. I don't want to follow it no more because I don't really believe in it. I believe in God. Remember last time we talked about good with God, but not good with the structures that surround God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I think it's a movement that is happening like everything that's happened since just before COVID, so many things are shifting and so many things are changing. I think this age of deconstruction is also a part of the church shift. Yeah. Would you say, Gina, that the tools are the same or like the ingredients for the recipe are the same ingredients, but the way you use them is different or who you cook with or, you know, I don't want to belabor, <laughs> but yeah, or, I mean, you know, prayer or mm-hmm. conversation or silence, are these tools still sufficient? Yeah, definitely. That's something that I've been, I don't know if toying around is the right word, but thinking about it, that spiritual practices are spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. It's like if I'm trying to communicate with you now, there are certain things that I need to do to take the time out to get to know you, to understand you. And I think that is what spiritual practices are. It's not that we pray because we have to pray. We pray because we inquire. Mm. We desire to know. The scriptures say, knock, seek, you know, I'm a rewarder of them that do diligently seek me. And a lot of times we think the reward is the thing that we're asking for. But the reward, in my understanding, is that you find God. Mm. That's the purpose, to be able to understand. And so I like to say that the principles remain the same, but the methodology might change. We'll be right back. You are listening to New Way, the podcast that explores the connections between people, their communities, 
and the ways that context shapes faith. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden, and today's guest is Gina Brown, founder of The Faith Studio. During this short break, we wanted to let you know that you can find the links to the resources mentioned in our podcast and an audio transcript of our episodes online at newchurchnewway.org. You can also subscribe or follow our podcast on all the major platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. Now, back to my conversation with Gina. Would you talk a little bit about, so Faith Studio, you've shared the principles and the tenets that you are welcoming people into. You're online together at the same time, but you also have resources that you put out into the community that people can access Mm -hmm. at any time. Mm -hmm. But when you're actually together and you're inviting conversation and inquiry, what's in the air? You know, what's in the conversation? What kind of things do you notice? What I really like about it, for me, so I don't consider myself to be the pastor of the Faith Studio. I consider myself to be the community steward, whereas I feel that I'm responsible for holding a vision that has a particular structure. Mm -hmm. And so I don't show up to the Faith Studio as the authority. I show up as one of the participants. Yeah. I don't hold all the knowledge, nor do I hold all the wisdom. And so what we do is, like we say, we're big on conversation, short on preaching. (laughs) Because what I found over the years is there's wisdom in the room. There are people who have been through various scenarios and situations, and they have made meaning out of those experiences. And so when a person steps into the room, again, it's not about rule keeping, one, two, three step to how to clean your bathroom. It's... I clean my bathroom like this. Mm -hmm. Strange thing to talk about the bathroom. (laughs) They might look kind of similar, but I'm into it. (laughs) So the idea is you're not coming for me to tell you how to clean your bathroom. You're coming and we're sitting together talking about how we clean the bathroom. And we're looking at the differences and the diversity of the different ways that people do it. And if you're coming and you're looking for advice or you're looking for inspiration, I believe there is revelation and approximation, right? And so when you sit in the room with people, when that thing stares up and we're thinking and ingenuity is happening and this person is talking about what they are imagining, what they understand, what they felt when they went through X, Y, and Z, and you're going through X, Y, and Z. Our situations are not the same, but I can begin to imagine differently. Mm, Yeah. Yeah, it's like a space opens up for me to be able to inquire of God via this communication. Yeah. You know what it makes me think of is the woman in Song of Songs, if you haven't read it and you go into your Hebrew scripture, it's quite racy. Very. <laughs> I mean, we used it early on as an analogy for Christ's love for the church, mm-hmm. which was laid upon this. But the woman, her set of circumstances are that she is in a very small world where her life is prescribed for her as a woman. Mm-hmm. And there's a moments where the text is evoking that her brothers are in charge of her, her father is in charge of her, but she finds this lover and she's imagining this new world. It's actually almost a very dreamlike circumstance. It reminded me always of what the Nicaraguan poet Ruben Dario would say is, when your world is small, dream a big one. And that that was where their independence came out of. The, The new world was dreamt. And 
the quality of the dream was so much stronger because the world was actually lived and experienced in such a confining way. I love that. I am also a chaplain. Yeah. One of the things we do is when we're sitting with people, like I always like to say, when we're knocking on hospital doors, we are spiritually and emotionally helping people to resource themselves. Mm. We're not adding anything to your belief system. We're working with what you have within you already. It's your resources, right? And so... That's part of my approach as well, is that I believe, as you were talking about this dream big, is that internally we know and we understand. Yeah. But we've not been encouraged to tap into that. Yeah. And so most of our education, whether formal or informal, happens from the outside of us. It's something other, even our religious experience, is something that sits on the outside of us and then we try to match ourselves up to it. Well said. When in reality, we talk about the scriptures and it talks about God is within. God has provided you with a a level of connection and a level of understanding and a level of desire that you can begin to create via the spirit. Yeah. Just like you spoke about that poet and construct what you need and resource yourself through the spirit of God. Yeah. The dream is inside you. The dream is in the community. But Mm -hmm. sometimes the structures tell us, oh, that's just a dream. Oh, that's just a silly dream. Yeah. So we spend a lot of time looking outside of ourselves as opposed to inside of ourselves. Mm. Yeah. How many of us who have experienced organized religion in any different context have been invited, encouraged, and resourced to do that very thing? You know, to sit within our own experiences and imagine with God. Hmm. Well, I would say for myself that that is something relatively new. (laughs) I had never been in a contemplative space. Yeah. Becoming a part of a community that encouraged contemplation was just not a thing. Yeah. It wasn't a thing for me. It was, again, everything that was on the outside, line up to the thing on the outside, not settle yourself down and think about how you feel about what's happening. Interact with that thing that's happening and be able to say, I'm not good with this. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like this. And not have it overshadowed by this is the will of God for your life. I wish this were a video podcast because the look you just gave was so <laughs> It said a lot. It said a lot. Yeah. That even when it comes to the will of God for our lives, we still have agency. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gina, what kind of tensions do you experience as you are the community steward of these conversations? Like, are there tensions that you experience in let's say something is discussed. I mean, you don't strike me ever as someone who you're grounded and steady. Uh, you know, I, I, we've had all kinds of funny conversations <laughs> together. and never once seen you like walk out or, you know, <laughs> seem perturbed. You just always seem to welcome like, Oh, curiosity and stuff. Yeah. Do you as community steward experience that tension in your own mind and heart as dialogues unfold? Where you think, oh, have we gone too far or, you know. Well, again, I think it is, like you said, because I'm curious, so I want to hear it anyway. How is it that this person is thinking and trying to track with them and trying to resource all of the different spaces I've been in before? And what is this line of thinking? What is this line of thought? I tend to be extremely pastoral. 
that offer a lot of pastoral care. I would say the most nervous that I am is around the conversations of LGBTQIA plus community. Because it's very important to me that I just think overall for the church, it's a very tight and hard conversation. Mm. And we've had someone come in who we've been very grateful for coming in and kind of slow walk us through the conversations and produce interesting dialogue around the idea of the LGBT community in general at large and in relation to the church. And it's been life-giving, but I'm also... In all of those conversations, I'm concerned about those who are part of the LGBT community hearing things that are damaging to them. Yeah. So there's this very tight walk, real balance of allowing people to say what they need to say so that they can learn, but also keeping our family, our siblings safe. Mm. That was something that John Matthew and I dialogued about in our previous two episodes before this conversation. And it's interesting to see the way that different communities experience what you so beautifully described. And they got to the point where they invited newcomers to the community to listen Mm -hmm. in their first couple of experiences, joining Harbor Online to just take it in and to see who is present and to hear a bit about them and to practice that. I mean, for me, what struck me as is this loving, honoring or just acceptance of someone's story before stepping into that story in a way that could be uninformed about what's behind that person's identity, story, their faith. And the young lady we work with, she also does something very similar. She invites us to talk about why we've come to this particular gathering and to offer something of ourselves to the space. And one of the things I found is that it's very difficult to point fingers at people after you've understood their story. Yes. It's very difficult to plaster a label on a thing after you've met somebody who you would have labeled that. Again, it's about human connection, living and being in community, getting to know people, developing compassion on all of the different topics. And I think it's just really, really important where you could say anything when you don't know anybody who's lived differently from you. Yeah. (laughs) But when you realize and you make connection, you're like, oh, they're a lot like me. Yeah. I've experienced that. Okay. I would want someone to see me, to accept me, to validate me, to affirm me. I think it's important. Friends, that's it for part one. But we'll be back next week with part two of my conversation with Gina. You can get that episode sent right to you by subscribing to New Way on your favorite podcast platform. And in the meantime, you can visit the Faith Studio and discover how they connect, explore, and inspire online at thefaithstudio.org. Thanks for listening. I'm your host, Sarah Hayden. Our fabulous producer is Martha Ames Sanders. You can always visit us online and see archives of all of our episodes at newchurchnewway.org. Catch you next time.